morning, church. If you like to follow along in your uh, Bibles, then turn to John chapter 4. That's where we will be today. Uh, John chapter 4. We're talking about serious worship. This is the first series of this year. We're going to get serious about our worship. God is serious about worship, so we should also be serious about worship. The past uh, few weeks, we've seen what great lengths God went into in order to lead his people out of Egypt so that they could worship him altogether on Mount Sinai. And we learned that God gave the Israelites specific instructions regarding how to worship him. These specific instructions are found in the Old Testament, and the scripture says that they are a pattern or an illustration for the new covenant that God established through Jesus. Today in John chapter 4, Jesus reveals the kind of worshipers that God is seeking. He says that true worshipers are those who worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now because of the Pharisees, Jesus left the area of Judea. Judea was the center of worship. It was the place where the temple was located. Jesus had an unpleasant, unpleasant experience in the temple in chapter 3 of John. Now, if you've read it, it was right before the Passover, and instead of finding people who were focusing on true worship in the temple, he had found that it had been turned into a marketplace. There was chaos, extortion, and greed, and they had replaced the intended purpose of worship. Now, do you guys know what zeal is? Zeal. Webster's definition of zeal says that it is an eagerness and an ardent interest in pursuit of something. An eagerness and an ardent interest in pursuit of something. Jesus had zeal. When he entered the temple that day, zeal flowed out of him and he took action. You know what story I'm talking about. He turned over the tables and he drove all the nonsense out of the temple. Drove them out. That was an ardent interest in pursuit of something. Jesus was in pursuit of true worship. Serious worshipers. He had an interest in worshiping God. And that wasn't what was happening at the temple that day. And so he did something about it out of his zeal. Oh, you don't have to read too far into the gospel message to realize that Jesus did not have a very high opinion of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious keepers of the law who set themselves apart. They set themselves apart as, as 
holier than thou. They spend all their time learning scripture and adhering to the minutest details of the law, but they still couldn't recognize the Messiah when he was right in front of their face. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus calls the Pharisees out for their hypocrisy and wickedness. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but uh, if you would like to do so in your time, you'll realize it's saying some pretty radical stuff. Jesus tells them that everything they do is for show. The Pharisees, they would would have these boxes, and these boxes had prayers and scriptures in them, and they would tie it around um, their arm because that's the way they did it in the old times. And so the Pharisees, if a little box of prayer and scripture was good, then uh, a bigger box would be better. And before you know it, uh, the Pharisees, to get better than the other one, more holy than the other Pharisee or more holy than the non-Pharisee, they had these huge boxes. That they, Look at all the scripture that I carry around. Look at all the prayers that I, I have. And they were looking <clears throat> for that attention from everywhere else. And Jesus called them out for that. You do things for show, he says. Jesus says they like people to call them rabbi. They like the sound of that term. Oh, yeah. Call me a teacher, a holy teacher. Jesus said hypocrites. He calls them blind fools. He says it's like the blind leading the blind, which doesn't work very good. This is what the Pharisees are doing. Jesus tells them you are... You try to be so perfect that you strain your water so that you don't swallow a gnat, but you choke on a camel. I, I love that. Uh, they, they, are so, they want their water, even their water, to be so very pure that everything they put inside has got to be just pers- pure so they're uh, straining it so they don't get just the little bittiest thing. And, and Jesus says, but you're going to swallow the camel anyway. And I'm sure they're, they're choking right then, like, like uh, not on a camel, but they're like, what, what is he saying? Because as Jesus is telling the Pharisees this, everyone else is standing around, all kinds of people, and they're hearing Jesus put the Pharisees in their place. Now, just imagine it sounded like they were choking on camels. What? That's not true. Don't listen to him. But yeah, that's the case. So when Jesus left... Judea, because of the Pharisees, we have a better vantage point of seeing why he might go to Samaria, a completely different place, a place the Jews, especially the Pharisees, considered anti-holy. It is here in Samaria that we learn um, that where and how we worship is not meant to make us feel holier than thou, holier than others. But where and how we worship is, but holy is supposed to make us holy because of thou. Because we worship Jesus, who we worship, not where we worship. Our attention during our worship should be focused solely on him not ourselves, and not others. John 4, verse 5. 
eventually he came to the Samaritan, Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you a drink, would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. And you don't, you don't have a husband. Jesus stops at Jacob's well. And he asks the woman for a drink of water. And they proceed to have an awkward conversation about her marital status. If it could get any, any more awkward for this woman. And, it, well, it wasn't, I don't think it was awkward for Jesus. Jesus knew exactly why he was there and his point and his purpose there. So it wouldn't have been awkward for Jesus. But for that woman... Here she is uh, near a well, a woman in the daytime, and a person who is a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, and it's uh, really tense and awkward, and then he has to ask her about who she's married to or about her marital status. Awkward. So you get the feeling here. The presence, the atmosphere, the air around this well here is very tense it's tight, and there's a lot of negative energy at this point. And then the reference to the Old Testament patriarchs that, that she brings up is uh, probably not a random detail. We know that God's word is very intricately woven together, and before any of the Old Testament law, before the 616 rules of the oral tradition of the Pharisees, God called a man, Abraham, and made him a promise to bless him and make him into a great nation and bless all the peoples of the earth through him. God promised this man, Abraham, a son, even though he and his wife were well past childbearing years. Abraham, the scripture says, believed God, and God counted his belief as righteousness. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. God is not after uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices. First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, um, Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering are offering the fat of rams. Jesus, God, wants people to trust and obey him because he knows what is best for us. True worship begins with trusting God and results in right standing with God. The nation of Israel came to be through the patriarchs of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. The interesting connection between Jesus asking the woman at the well for a drink at Jacob's well is in Genesis chapter 24 when Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And this is really interesting that she brings up her ancestors when it got really awkward. And it relates so much. Jesus knew this, I'm sure, but, but uh, she didn't. And we're able to see both texts and put it together perfectly. Genesis chapter 24, verse 12 says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. This is, a, this is Abraham's servant, and this is what's going on. He prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young woman of the town, women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink uh, from your jug. And if she says, yes, have a drink, I will water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Uh, before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink from, of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. Uh, in the end, the end of this uh, story here, Isaac marries Rebekah, and their son Jacob goes on to have 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel they turn into. These patriarchs lived by faith. They worshipped God because they perceived God's word in their spirit and acted upon its truth. They experienced his faithfulness as they lived by his guidance. Now, fast forward again. Imagine this woman at Jacob's well. She obviously did not have the fairy tale love story that Isaac and Rebekah had so many years before. The tension she must have felt about a Jewish man talking to her must have been <clears throat> so 
heavy. Even though Jews and Samaritans share the same ancestors, there was great animosity between the two groups. There was a saying in that time that said, um, he that eats bread, the bread of the Samaritans, is like the one who eats the flesh of swine. It's not a problem these days, bacon, pork. We're good with that. No, uh, no insult there, but in this time, that's an insult of the highest degree for a Jew. So to receive a drink from an unmarried Samaritan woman would defile a Jew. It wouldn't result in a marriage proposal and uh, a happily ever after story would defile you. Now I'm, I'm sure she was wondering exactly what motivation Jesus had in engaging her in this conversation. She's probably thinking, where is he going? What is in his mind right now? Verse 17. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the one that you're living with now, to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Now she understands, or so so she thinks, now it, it makes sense, it's clear. She becomes defensive as feelings of condemnation swirl around in her head. This Jewish holy man, a prophet, is there to humiliate her, to point out her moral failures and unworthiness. And of course, you would have to point out that his water is better than the water from a Samaritan well. Unbelievable that this Jew would waltz into her world and taunt her with living water. She knows he wouldn't give her any of this water, even if she asked him for it, like he told her that she should. Did he seriously come to this well in the middle of the day to condemn everything about her so that he could feel better about himself as a religious man standing before God? Sounds about right for a Jewish religious person like a Pharisee. If that's what she was thinking, she couldn't have been more wrong. She goes off on a tangent about the correct place of worship. But Jesus directs her away from that argument, the argument about a place of worship, and directs her to uh, whom to worship. That's been the whole problem both the Jews and the Samaritans have had regarding true worship. The Jews hate the Samaritans because the Samaritans are descended from the Jewish and Gentile marriages and incorporated uh, pagan idolatry into their worship practices. What the Jews seem to conveniently overlook is that the 
that Samaria was settled by Gentiles because of their own failure to worship God alone according to his commands and decrees. We see this in the, the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 17, um, verse 7 says, This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Verse 12 says, Yes, they worshipped idols despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. And verse 14 says, But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenants he had made with their ancestors, and they despised all his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. Loving God, he used the king of Assyria to capture the land of Samaria. It was part of the promised land, uh, and it was inhabited by the Israelites. Some of the Jews were exiled to the towns of the Medes and the foreigners were imported to help the Jews who remained to keep the land settled and maintained. Second Kings chapter 17 verse 24 tells us the king of Assyria transported troops of people from Babylon, Kuta, and these places right here. <clears throat> and uh, he resettled them in the towns of Samaria, replacing the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its towns. Crazy thing is, God was still serious about his worship. After all of that, he used this as an opportunity for pagans to be taught the requirements that he had laid out regarding how he is to be worshipped. He used this as an opportunity to teach them. Second Kings chapter 17, 25. But since these foreign settlers did not worship the Lord when they first arrived, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So a message was sent to the king of Assyria. The, the people you have sent to live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of the God of the land. He has sent lions among them to destroy them because they have not worshipped him correctly. The king of Assyria then commanded, send one of the exiled priests back to Samaria. Let him live there and teach the new residents the religious customs of the God of that land. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria returned to Bethel and taught the new residents how to worship the Lord. Now this 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 scripture right here, I mean I mean lions. So if if any scripture in, in the Bible tells us that we should be that we should be serious about worship, this one should. So, some people were not serious about their worship. And lions ate them. Is it, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think, 
man, am, am, I, am I worshiping correctly? And, and I'm tempted, you know, after reading this verse, to look over my shoulder. Is a lion going to get me? I mean, it did at one point in time in history because folks weren't taking worship seriously. Now, I don't... Lions aren't going to devour any of us. But if your time is being devoured by ball games so that you don't have much time to do anything else, maybe you should consider upping your worship game. If your peace is being devoured because of stress from work, maybe you should consider working on your worship life. If your joy is being devoured by conflict with your friends and your family, I strongly urge you to consider the worship you give to your Heavenly Father. Now the Jews, three classes of of Jews at this point, there were the ones who were imported to Samaria. They, they did not worship God as His commands and decrees required. Neither did the Jews who remained. They didn't worship God. And neither did the Jews who were exiled. It all failed to worship God. Even though God had provided a reason for them to learn how He is to be worshipped and allowed them to have a priest specifically to teach them they continued to worship their own gods and idols. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 40, but the people would not listen and continue to follow their former practices. So while these new residents worshiped the Lord, they also worshiped their idols, and to this day their descendants do the same. I think something we can get out of this verse here, on on top of telling us about them worshiping um, other than uh, things other than God, the the legacy that we leave behind, and to this day their descendants do the same. Look at your children and your grandchildren, and fast forward a hundred years, two hundred years, and if. Jesus hasn't come back for us by that time. And you were to say about your family, and to this day, his descendants or her descendants do the same. How, do you, how does that make you want to live your life? Well, they didn't worship God. So fast forward the, the time, and their descendants were not worshiping God. And unlike the Pharisees who think they know everything and have all the right answers and live completely righteous lives. The Samaritan woman, the woman from Samaria, who knows she is anything but righteous and is confused about how to even go about atoning for her sins, where to worship, or who to believe, Jesus is spinning doesn't even know who to believe. And that's when Jesus says, believe me. Verse 21. Jesus replied to the woman, 
Believe me, my dear woman, this is the time, or the time is coming, when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit, truth. True, true worship is not about where you worship, or if you have the correct ethnic background to worship. True worship comes from those who worship God in spirit, the the inner part of you. True worship is not about appearance, the, the holiness, appearance of holiness through observance or through being observed. It's, it's not about doing all of the rituals and being legalistic in order to rank, rank yourself higher than others on God's list. Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come when worship will not be about the list of rules because the rules don't have the power to transform you like my spirit does. Paul, Apostle Paul explains it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat, eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon fest, uh, ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on the highest self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we do. These rules may seem wise, but they require strong devotion to pious self-denial and severe body discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Our worship is not to be a set of rules, but of a living a life of faith in the Spirit. It's, it's living by faith in God as Abraham did, and now we have the Holy Spirit to guide us daily in what is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. 
God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers worship God in truth when they worship Him as a creator instead of worshiping His creation. Psalms 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all those who call on Him in truth. The rest of that psalm declares the truth about God. It says that He is gracious and merciful. His deeds are great. His kingdom is everlasting. He is righteous in all His ways. He is provider and protector of those who look to Him and He satisfies the desires of those who fear Him and saves those who cry out to Him. True worshipers believe God's Word is true. John 17, verse 17 says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. And I'll, I'll say it again. God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. This kind of worship it, in the spirit can only happen if you claim the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus left Judea, where the Pharisees and the religious leaders continually tried to deny who he was and to keep people from believing in his message. He went to Samaria and he found a woman with no social standing or religious influence but even in her hopeless circumstance, she still had hope the Messiah could make the difference in her life. When she heard Jesus say, I am the Messiah, she believed him. And that changed her life. Instead of, instead of avoiding her community by going to the well in the heat of the day, she ran to tell them about a man who told her everything she ever did. She didn't consider hiding her shame, but she proclaimed in truth boldly her testimony of the Messiah because her spirit had been set free from fear and condemnation. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 40. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in the sacrifices or, or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And I said, look, 
I've come as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I've told all your people about justice. I've not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I've not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Our worship should never be about what we have or haven't done, but about who He is and what He has done for us. It turns out this encounter at the well and a request for a drink of water does lead to a wedding invitation. All those who accept Jesus as the Messiah are invited to the wedding feast, the feast of the Lamb. We, along with the Samaritan woman, are the bride of Christ. As it says in Revelation chapter 19, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride has prepared herself. And we should invite others to come and meet Jesus. They don't need to clean up before they come. They don't have to perform any rituals or cover up their shame. Jesus wants to meet them just as they are, just like He did with the Samaritan woman at the well. Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to streams of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We can still calm just He knows when we are going through dry spells and His invitation still stands for us to ask Him for a drink of living water. Come, believe. Come, receive life everlasting. Think about that. Uh, band, go ahead and come forward. We sing our last song, a song of invitation. The invitation today is to come. Not to the well that is dug by Jacob, our ancestors of the faith, but come to the living water. The Son of God died for all of our sins. He freely gives grace and mercy any of us who are willing to humble ourselves and accept, accept that we can't do it on our own. 